0: Hi, this is Anson Williams, and you're listening to the amazing TV Confidential. Ed Roberts, with a reminder that Judy Tenuta will join us later on in the hour. We'll be up to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, by now, I am sure that most of you listening are aware of the passing of Howard Hessman, Howard Hessman, the actor comedian, and improv artist known around the world as Dr. Johnny Fever on WKRP in Cincinnati and as school teacher Charlie Moore in Head of the Class. Howard Hessman passed away Saturday, January 29th at the age of 81, just a few weeks shy of what would have been his 82nd birthday. You might recall that Tony Figueroa, Donna Allen, and I paid tribute to Howard Hessman in February 2020 as part of a special edition of This Week in TV History that commemorated Howard Hessman's 80th birthday. We will replay that segment for you right now. Tony's segment, as always, brought to us by our friends at Story Salon, StorySalon.com, Facebook.com forward slash Story Salon. While Tony's new podcast, This Week in TV History, is available for free wherever podcasts are found. As we pick up the conversation, Tony, Donna, and I, are talking about how Howard Hessman first came onto the scene in the early 1970s as a member of the groundbreaking improv group, The Committee. The Committee, which started in San Francisco. It right? started in San Francisco, which was one, uh, it was his work on The Committee, uh, alongside with Peter Bonners, that uh, attracted Howard Hesman to the attention of Bob Newhart. And that's how, Bob, that's how Howard Hesman became Mr. Plager on the Bob Newhart Show.
1: Yeah, later on he was part of the group, Mm -hmm. and he was an openly gay character.
0: He was an openly gay character, and you can argue he may have been one of the first openly gay characters on network television. You know, this is before Soap. and, And, but it was sort of, I mean, it was, it was the premise for one of the episodes, but they didn't make a big deal out of
1: it. And the comedy worked because he wasn't the stereotype of the time. right? Because he was, let's say, playing straight, and he was having, let's say, uh, problems with relationships. Yes. uh, Or or with his relationship, and speaking very generically, and everyone assumes one thing until he mentions the name. Yeah. And then they realize, oh, he's one of those. (laughs) And uh, the homophobia of that time really comes out in, in the character's. Uh, yeah, I think they had just killed off the Mr. Gianelli character, oh, who Giannelli. died with the zucchini. Which yeah. I don't know the backstory. If there was an issue with the actor who played Mr. Gianelli, uh, uh, one of those character actors that works all the time and is great, Tom Pitlick, yeah, uh, who worked uh-huh. all the except time except
0: for one episode in which he was played by Daniel J. Travanti.
1: Ah, so yeah, Mr. Gianelli, who who died? Uh, he, uh, truck of zucchini. Uh, Oh, the zucchini. He was killed by the
0: zucchini. He was killed. He was, yes, yes. But, uh, but you're right. I mean, they, they, it was within a couple of shows of that they decided to bring in a new member of the group, a, a new member to round out the group to fill in yeah. the spot that had been previously filled by Mr. G And at that point, Plager had been seeing Bob one-on-one, and Bob, Bob thought he Incorporated would him into yes. the group. Benefit, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, and then they introduce a new guy, and now you just love Mr. Carlin looking at, you know, standing next to Mr. Peterson. Yeah, okay, let's get a new guy, but nobody hostile. Move it, twerp. <laughs> yeah, and then you bring him in, and then he's, yeah, he's in there for several episodes. Uh, he was in a in a dragnet also, where he played a hippie character, which I'm sure he got a lot of roles as that hippie character.
0: Not Not only that, even when he wasn't appearing as... Plager on screen. You could hear him, uh, like occasionally, if um, Bob and Emily were watching television, um, and they, they would turn on the television. You could hear Howard Hespen mm-hmm. mm-hmm. being that. an announcer yeah. or being a soap opera actor. He did a, so. He was he, he he did a lot more Bob Newhart than we just see him on screen for.
1: No, oh, he was actually uh, behind the scenes, well, doing the voiceover work and such. Yeah, but yeah.
0: but as as is mentioned uh, on several occasions during the on-air comedies of the Bob Newhart box set, what Bob Newhart liked about Hesseman is that, like Peter Bonner's, he was accustomed to working in front of a live audience. And uh, Bob, whenever possible, not that he imposed his will on casting, but he said, whenever possible, I would prefer having actors who are used to working in front of an audience, because you get a different dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, yes, Most definitely. If, if someone run up runs up on their lines, you know, you can, you, you might be able to do something with it in the moment, which creates an even better scene. So uh, to the extent, and so the vast majority of actors who appeared on that show, even whether they're regulars or just one shot, the vast majority of them worked before audiences.
1: But, yeah, that that was a big deal. Yeah. He was – Howard Hessman, like I said, he did, uh, I know, at least one Dragnet yeah. where it's all basically a TV show and it's a debate that's moderated. And he's a very very much uh, a, a hippie character.
0: Yeah, he did an episode – this is about a year before – year or two before uh, WKRP. He did an episode of O with David Jansen, which he played a – a a a senator or congressman who was leading some anti-corruption committee. And it's a straight role. Yeah. But uh he ha he had a couple of his moments where he denounces, you know, this witness for being uncooperative and
1: He he did an interesting shift because he was playing the hippie and then all of a sudden he was, he the, was the political he, he was candidate <laughs> or yeah. establishment. Yeah. And he could do you know, the young prosecutor or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Where, you know, he was youthful, but you know, the next, you know, big thing and yeah. then it turns out, you know, he, he murdered somebody, so he's going to jail. Uh, he Ooh. he was also in the movie Billy Jack. He was in the first Billy Jack movie uh, credited with the committee because they actually give credit to the committee. He's there with the whole ensemble. And there are uh, little bits that they do. They are basically part of the youth center or what. And uh, they were using they were basically playing improvisational actors to basically teach kids you know right and wrong and and they served a function in the telling of the story because you had this youth center and they were using the improvisation and all that with the kids but they were also performing in the street uh so they got to add comic relief directly and indirectly mm-hmm. into the storyline uh basically playing those characters And then he also played two parts on Soap. He played twins. You never saw him at the same time. I think it was just a casting uh, thing and a last-minute fix. Uh, There was, when Jessica was going to trial for the murder of Peter Campbell, they seeked out a defense attorney, played by Howard Hessman, who said she does not have a case That uh, she was, she looked so guilty, and he didn't take the case. And then he's back in the next episode as his twin brother, who's the (laughs) prosecutor, and you know where he's, you know, kind of I guess the evil twin in in one respect. But you never see both at the same time. And uh, you know, eventually, you know, Jessica gets Mulgrew uh, to defend her, Uh, but you know, he has this great moment where he's saying, even Clarence. Darrow at his best, and you, Mister Tate, as the judge, and the rest of her family as the jury, could not, you know, get her off on this crime. You know, uh, he says that to Chester, and then he leaves, and then Jessica comes in. Oh, you'll be okay, you know. And (laughs) then, you know, they cut to the, you know, because he can't tell his wife, yeah, yeah, uh, what creek she's up, and, uh, you know, but it's it's also great with the the music. That they would have because you had a couple of different themes, but usually when the ending was very funny, you had that bass, you know, coming up, Doon, dun, dun, and then they would play it, and then, you know, when it's a sad ending, they had the sad music or no music, uh, but it was, you know, such a great line, no, you'll be fine. <laughs> and, and then the next episode, it's like, oh, we're going to meet with the prosecutor, and it's Howard Hessman. And then, oh yeah, you got me. Yeah, and just played the whole whole thing off. And I don't know if they had hired somebody else, and that person bailed, or some something happened, and they said, "Well, Howard's in the building. You know, let's just." But for him to play straight as the prosecutor in this case, who, well, I wouldn't say straight because the character was really getting off on the idea of sending Jessica to the big house, uh, and uh, you also had Gordon Jump as Chief Tinkler who for some reason was also the bailiff. Oh, so you had two so, WKRP ah. actors who while you know, the next season WKRP would be on, but these two had to be present for the season premiere when we found out, you know, what really happened in the courtroom. So they were doing double duty on two different network shows so this story could play out, but, yeah, so he played that, and then we get WKRP, which...
0: Which also was before a studio audience. It yes. was
1: before studio audience. MTM, Mary Tyler Moore, I understand, did not have a lot of faith in, in this show. They were not on the MTM lot.
0: Which is interesting, because I think CBS put it on Monday night, which is back in the day when they had a pretty steady Monday night yeah. lineup. So, so, so MT, Mary Tyler Moore may not have had a lot of faith in it, but apparently CBS did but,
1: all the MTM shows were sh- were shooting at uh, what we now call CBS Radford, which mm-hmm. was very dominated by uh, the MTM shows at that time. And so, in the sixties, Gilligan, Adams Family, uh, a lot of the Paul Henning stuff. In the seventies, it was all Mary Tyler Moore. You know, later on, Will and Grace and other shows. They were not uh, really uh, associated. Uh, they they were shooting over at KTLA, which is Channel Five in Los Angeles. But, you know, we look at WKRP at some of those episodes, and they were wonderful. Either laugh out loud, funny, hysterical, slapstick, laugh, 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 laugh all the way, or some of the best work uh, that they did. uh, I swear turkeys could fly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and of course, you know, Dr. Johnny Fever has the last line in that, not the epilogue, where... You know, I, I I swear to God, I thought tur- turkeys could fly. But just, you know, when the uh, broadcast feed is cut, you know, Les, less. are you there? Ah, oh, thanks for that on-the-spot reporting, Les. <laughs> for those of you just tuning in, was it the uh, Pinedale Shopping Mall has been bombed really? by live turkeys. <laughs> Film at 11. Ooh. You know, and then he cranks up the music and everybody just walks out of the... Uh, uh, that you know, it's just you look at this and and you go okay. You know, DJs probably had to deal with something. It's, it doesn't matter as long as it's not dead air. You yeah. got to say That's something, right. and That's he right. and he he put it out there. And I think that is the most memorable episode. Imagine it's the sixth one in in five years, a yeah. five year run. And it's number six, and it's one everyone. But I think uh, WKRP did so many really good and powerful episodes. The Who episode, the Who Who episode. I was just thinking of that one because... And being
2: from Cincinnati, that... I remember where I was the night when the Who incident happened where 12 people were trampled to death, uh, festival seating. Mm -hmm. People were rushing to get into the Who concert. Uh, Yeah, I was in school in Boston. And then I remember this episode... And just touched me. I still cry every time I see it. I mean, yeah. just it just the emotion. And the characters really turned, I mean, a show that was so funny to something that was serious, making a statement... Howard Hestman, I mean all of all of them just played it so beautifully again goes back to good solid acting yeah. technique. Yeah,
1: you but because by the way, that episode would be thirty years old because the incident happened in December. December, right. right. And I am sure as soon as it happened, boom, they were on it. So the episode added aired sometime it, January or February. It aired
0: within a month of the Yeah.
1: yeah and the call. and the first half of the episode, funny, 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 yeah. funny. Uh, Mr. Carlson has uh, a headache and they give him this when they have like that new type of Swedish gel mask that looks like the Lone Ranger and, you know, uh, know, hundreds of, you know, millions of people have them in a freezer on standby when they need it. But it was the first time you saw something like that. The idea that Mr. Carlson is going to a rock concert and they're promoting, they're selling it and everybody is contributing to the episode and their take on rock and roll and, and the who and then... The morning after, uh, people coming into work, and it's, you know, not only is this a workplace comedy, but it's, you know, what if you're involved with something like this? And the fact that everybody is on edge, everybody's upset. Mr. Carlson's the only one who did not know what happened, which I think was written so we could have the conduit to the audience. And when they're saying this happened, And, and the thing is... This was a real event, and the problem had happened before the Who concert in Cincinnati. And so they were talking, yeah, this happened when we were at a concert in Atlanta. This ha- and people, you know, you could tell that the characters, you get to see another side of them. Yeah. And uh, it was so well played out, uh, and I mean, uh, very heavy. And then, you know, at the end, they were going to have um, uh, a candlelight visual at uh, – Fountain Square. Fountain Square, a real place, and you know, Les Nessman had said, "I'm going to make announcements on the news, and you know, we're all going to be there." Uh, everybody went; they all went to their favorite bar, Stuckey's. Even Les, I mean uh, Herb, joined everybody, yep. asking, "Can I? Yeah, come on!" And and they all go, and then they go to the the candlelight because they they didn't even want to be in the radio station when they were done work they just did not want to hang out. They just could not be in that environment. I mean, where you're you know, you you cut something like this happens and all of a sudden you're you're hating what you do, your job, everything that that you're about, you know, you, you you there's guilt and all that. And then but the last bit is Venus who's on the air while the candlelight vigil's happening and he's reading a poem, you know, about uh, friends that were lost in the night. And he's looking at Mr. Carlson, and he just says, you know, are we going to go back to playing ele- elevator music now? And he said, no, we're a rock and roll station. We're going to keep playing rock and roll. And he's looking at a map of Cincinnati, a cartoon map, and he goes, "He just looks over there and he said, this is a good town. We're going to do the right thing. And, and as it turned out, by the yeah. time the episode aired, they had, you know. The,
2: the festival seating was banned in yeah. Cincinnati yeah. from, yeah. I mean, fairly quick. It was fairly quickly after the incident, I yeah. think, I before mean, the end of the year.
1: And you being from Cincinnati, and, and, and just people in Cincinnati, uh, unlike other cities, and I say Chicago is probably the most comparable of big cities, they they know all the politicians, all the key players. You live in a city like LA, you might know the mayor. You Maybe. don't know the city council. Mm-hmm. You might not know until you need them, but you might not know who the players are. Uh, they, they show up on the ballot. Uh, I imagine San Francisco is very much the same mm-hmm. way, that there's a lot of key players. But you know more about what's happening in Sacramento yeah. and Washington, D.C., than you know what's going on in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. And I think that is very common in a lot of places. And these are from reasonable, intelligent people. And I think it just gets worse because we don't have local papers anymore. Right. We're getting Ooh. national news. And some people don't like the local TV news. So the stuff that's happening around the corner, they're not aware of because they're watching the cables and getting a more national perspective. So they know what's going on in Washington. Uh, I think Chicago and Cincinnati are two exceptions to the rule. Maybe Chicago, you know who all the players are because they keep getting arrested. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> Cincinnati, uh, you know all the players. A lot of them are very colorful characters at times and it's very a outspoken. City. It's It is, but city. you know, it is a city. And uh you know who, and so when something like this happens, you know who to get on the phone with, so whether you had a kid at that concert, you didn't have a kid at that concert, you have a kid who will grow up to go to rock concerts. people clamored, and the fact that you had local government on top of this situation immediately. I mean, this was not a wait and see attitude; this was not you know. Let's calm down and let cooler heads prevail, or let's run it up the flagpole and see. No, they shut this this situation no, down. No, remember
2: the rest of the country was also looking at Cincinnati at yeah. the time. They had no choice in the matter. Though, I mean, there was sadness, outrage, anger. Yeah, it was got. It was going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen.
1: Yeah, and that that one, I would say, the Who episode. And the one where Richard Paul basically is playing Jerry Falwell, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, uh, again, um, I even wrote a, a, a story about it for for Story Salon because uh, having two parents of very diverse opinions who barely stayed married long enough to have me, both loved that episode because of the message that was coming across. And... Um, it was one where, you know, Johnny Fever especially and Venus Flytrap are debating morality on television and in music because you have a a fire and brimstone preacher who doesn't have a church. He has a movement, a ministry, uh, very much like uh, Jerry Falwell of the Moral Majority, where they want to clean up the airwaves. And the first station that they're going after in Cincinnati is WKRP. And they first come with a list of songs that have questionable language, words, questionable, you know, the language is the issue. And they said, you know, we think these songs are are bad for the young people to listen to. And we would like you to voluntarily not play these songs anymore. And Johnny Fever's outrage over the idea of Venus is going, well, you know, they might have a little bit of a point here. You know, what's that? Some of these songs might not be the best thing for kids to be listening to. Uh, you have Andy Travis, who is very Southern in the way, and, you know, and he sees a problem because, you know, it's a free enterprise issue. It's a free speech right. issue. And he has family who are of the Bible-thumping ilk. And so he's already tainted there. Mr. Carlson is a Sunday school teacher. So... They they agree, yeah. and then they come with a bigger list. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, "No, we can't." Now you're affecting our bottom line. There's right. a business here. Said, well, maybe we should go after your sponsors. And when they fight back, they go after the sponsors, and they have no commercials. They're playing PSAs, and it all it escalates to now they are really hurting, and it was, it got to the point where okay, now it's these songs, and now it's these songs. And then uh, Johnny Fever writes out the lyrics to the song Imagine by John Lennon. And keep in mind, we had just lost John Lennon. So, you know, that was very, um, very important also to the story. And he presents the list, Mr. Carlson, who is not always the brightest guy in the room and a little slow. uh, He presents the list and he says, uh, would this song be okay? Okay. And uh, Richard Paul's character reads, you know, the, you know imagine there's no heaven and, and goes through. And he says, well, that sounds like communism to me. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which is great. And I'm trying to remember the whole episode. But, you know, he said, but there's You've not done a
0: pretty good job. Yeah. So far. <laughs> it's like
1: uh, there's not one naughty word in here. Yeah. And he said, but you're looking over here. And, and uh, he says, but it's saying there's they said there's no uh, there's no God. And he said, it doesn't say that. It just says, uh, says, there's no heaven. He said, well, uh, no, it just says, imagine there's no heaven. Well, if there's no heaven, therefore, I believe there is no God and there's no religion. So, you know, it goes on the list. And he said, so first you're getting rid of the words. Now you're getting rid of the ideas. And uh, he says, "Well, you know, the 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 media is filled with people. The people who decide uh, network television shows I can count on my fingers." And he said, "Just a handful of people determine the morality of our country." And he said, "But you just put that on the list. You're one man." I bet you, yeah.
0: mar- I bet you, Mary Tyler Morris is behind the show at this point. Oh, no, <laughs> oh, yeah. was, because
1: <laughs> I, I bet you. But it was, you know, it's obviously things played out. Yeah. But it was, it, it was so well played, you know, with all the characters. But each character their own uniqueness and their own sense of moral yeah. and i always love when you see these characters and you see so how well-rounded they are but you also get to see people like tim reed and see howard hasman richard who, saunders richard Sa- mm-hmm. who maybe some of their own personal feelings come out sure uh in this thing because it, it just plays so well in in the passion and uh you know it goes back to what we talked about with andy Griffith these characters had integrity.
0: Childoftelevision.blogspot.com, childoftelevision.blogspot.com, also storysalon.com Donna's four-part novel series is now complete.
2: Yes, it is. The last book, Fall Again Reunion, was published a few months ago. You'll see where the story finally ends.
0: And to find out how the story begins and end, go to FallAgainSeries.com. Tony and Donna, we'll see you both next time. Next,
2: next time.
0: time. You can now enjoy the This Week in TV History podcast for free wherever podcasts are found. Judy Tenuta will join us we come back on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk